Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. I do have to say I get to have a conversation today with one of my more favorite people that I've recently have met. And he is he's a very gifted individual at what he does. He's an entrepreneur. He's been a, a business coach. He's been in, in business for a long time. And uh, his name is David Newkirk. And he is right here. By the way, if you want to follow along, you can go to ethosconsult.com. That's ethosconsults. That's C-O-N-S-U-L-T s.com and you can find out all about him and all of the work that he does his entrepreneurial programs and his health and wellness programs all of it and we're going to talk about a good deal of that today i think maybe <laughs> as, as we were talking before the show began it was like what do you want to talk about i don't know what do you want to talk about and it's like um but it's just it's just great to have you here sir how are you i'm great kevin it, it's so it's such a pleasure i, I enjoy a conversation so much that I like not knowing what we're going to talk about and just flow into the conversation that it makes them more enjoyable. I think so. And you never, like I tell, like I tell people, it's like you and I are sitting at Starbucks having a cup of coffee. I use Starbucks because they're here. And, uh, and, uh, and the third person sitting there is the, uh, is the audience and they get a chance to understand what we're talking about. And we try to make it as clear as possible. Mostly sometimes not so much but but in any event it's it's great to have you here you are you are a consultant and you work with entrepreneurs to meet uh, business objectives and you coach personal challenges for both so to try and get everybody in sync because one of the things that you say that i want to talk about is that there really is no difference between being an entrepreneur and your pri private life they're blended together how so yeah. Um, what's interesting is I think it's best to just contrast it when you're in the working world, which I had been for 30, for 30 years, you adapt to what is it that you need to do in order to get along with everybody, fit in, succeed, find success. So you create an identity that works for the workplace in the corporate world. But when you're not in the corporate world, you're like, oh, I, I can be myself and I'm different with my kids or my wife or my partner or just when I'm home by myself. But then when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have to think about how to be somebody else. You just figure out how to take what you believe in, what you think, the, the, the way that you like to be. And you like to just build your business around that where you get to actually exercise broadcasting an experience that is you, uh, regardless of whether it's a product or service a single person business or a, a multi-person business, you do get to represent how you want to be seen and how you want to be heard. It is an extremely freeing to be an entrepreneur. And, and if, if you're able to be successful and you're able to make a living and it, but it's extremely freeing to be able to do what you choose to do and to do it well, and to be the kind of boss that you've always wanted to be. Yeah, I agree. I think what's really interesting is the more comfortable someone actually is in being themselves, because not everyone is interested, is comfortable in being themselves. It can be a challenge. That could be one of their challenges uh, to being an entrepreneur is finding a way to be comfortable being themselves. And that might be one of the things they have to overcome to be successful. But being yourself is really 
uh, is really a representation of your personal brand, which really is a big part of being an entrepreneur is the personal brand because people are buying you, not just the product or the service absent of you. Oh, ex- exactly. And I believe that. How do you, but help me here. Cause I don't quite understand how somebody doesn't know who they, well, I suppose that, I suppose that's pretty normal that a lot of people don't know who they really are and how they present themselves to the world and how people mm-hmm. perceive them um, because they may have a completely different idea of how they're being perceived than they, than the other people think of them. Does that make sense? <laughs> it, makes, it, it makes total no, It makes total sense. You know, and there's different ways to, I think to look at it. One, one, of a couple lenses here. One lens is that people sometimes are used from that corporate world or maybe in their fam- family condition or social conditioning. They're always used through obligation to be however they need to be for someone else to be happy with them or to feel satisfied in their interaction. So you're conditioned that way for such a long time. You sort of say, well, how do I need to be to be successful? And you're trying to figure out how to be successful with people you're trying to sell to or service as clients or customers. And you're not being yourself. And, and that, can sh- that can show in some positive ways, but also in some negative ways, because it could lead to confusion in the experience, because it may be er- erratic from customer to customer or prospect to prospect what you're delivering. And people are having a hard time understanding who you are. One of my problems, and baby, David, help me, please. I need some. I need some help here, and that is that I tend to. I, I tend to be a giving person, mm-hmm. and so sometimes I do that at at the detriment of my business, because mm-hmm. I will give something away that I really can't afford to give it away, but because I value the individual and value what they say and and stuff, I'll I'll go above and beyond, and that. The people who work with me get infuriated with that because mm-hmm. they want to see the business succeed. And yet yes. at the same time, I'll turn around and go, well, I don't know. We'll just give that to them for this time, you know, that sort of thing. How do I, how do I fix that? Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it in one sentence. What I, what I understand, cause I actually shared early on in my career, what you're talking about, which is, such a strong desire to be in service to others to help and to get so much satisfaction out of helping others be successful. We tend to prioritize that over it being a business where we can be emotionally comfortable um, setting boundaries around limiting the amount of work we deliver within the prescribed timeframe and actually asking for compensation for it or asking for additional compensation if we go over those boundaries. And, and I think that's that's where some of that personal work comes into play, which is what are the things perhaps that were going on outside of business where it feels emotionally uncomfortable asking for compensation when people naturally are expecting to be asked to compensate you? It's not that they're having an issue. We as entrepreneurs are having the issue asking for compensation. And so we have to look a little deeper into what's what what's the trigger that causes us to shy away from it. Well, if I can, if I can be brutally honest, I'll tell you one, one of the triggers that I have is 
um, because I, I do the podcast and I do a radio show and I do, and it goes up on all these sites and it goes everywhere and stuff, but I can't necessarily prove that the value that I'm asking for is being met by the consumer or by the customer or by the, the advertiser, uh, that is coming on. I can't necessarily, cause like, I don't know if you know this, but in radio, nobody knows mm-hmm. how many people are listening. Right. They're just, right. There's just no way to know. And so mm-hmm. when somebody says, well, how many listeners do you have? And it's like, well, I don't really have any idea. And because there isn't those statistics are not available readily. And uh, I mean, you can pay thousands of dollars to do a survey, but, um, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, they're not. So, so when I, when my response is, I don't really know, then their response is, then why is it worth advertising with you? Right. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because so, you're asking the question of if I can't provide a tangible guaranteed outcome to show that it's valuable, why would I feel comfortable charging? Did I get that right? You got it. I wish I had said that better. <laughs> you got that exactly right. Here's the people who get it right, actually, which uh, is, uh, I think, a good, healthy uh, comparison. People, uh, people in marketing who say it takes at least six months to do advertising and marketing, and then you 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 may start to see lead generation things coming through, and people are like, okay, sign me up. And so many people spend money on marketing and advertising dollars where there's no quantifiable guarantee from the person selling the marketing; they're just selling the concept and the idea that there will be success. They don't actually put numbers together that say, this is what you can expect from my marketing expertise. If I build your website, I'm not delivering you an outcome that you're going to get business. If you advertise and I help you do Facebook ads, I help you do Instagram, I'm not going to guarantee you what you're going to get for business. But there's a technique in all of that that's been successful where everyone buys those services. Yes. Which there is, is a value that is perceived to be there without guaranteeing success, which they can't do. And a lot of times, a lot of businesses, while some experience lead generation and some success, a lot of businesses don't. That but is so pay. interesting. That is, yeah, that is so, just... Go so ahead. the value is really... I, I, you raise an interesting point. So I'm sure there may be listeners who will disagree with me on this, and I'm totally cool with that. But I'm going to share a perspective that challenges some conventional thinking, which is value is not what you state it to be. Value is what the buyer perceives it to be. There's this whole argument for entrepreneurs in training that says you have to state what your value is you have to you have to tell people what it is that is valuable and why, and you have to you have to make that your key talking point. When really the value in all of economics 101 in college, if you get a PhD, you get an MBA, it doesn't matter. The market sets the price versus the value and what they're willing to pay for. Now, what we can do as entrepreneurs is we can share the benefits that are tangible that we deliver, but then the value of those benefits is determined by the buyer. And that value is then associated with a price. And so the challenge for us 
is to articulate, articulate tangible benefits that can be perceived as value and we find an understanding by knowing our target market and knowing, our, knowing potential clients or clients and knowing what typically is an amenable average price they're willing to pay. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this now or later, I want you to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and take notes because this is really good stuff um, because it is so true um, that the, the buyer is the one who sets, really sets the market. And I was just thinking mm -hmm. as you were talking about there, uh, you know, we have the Super Bowl coming up yes. and you've got a 30, they're selling a 30 second commercial for multiple millions of dollars for one 30 second commercial. There is not a, there isn't a way in heaven or hell that 30 second, that 30 second commercial is going to generate those millions of dollars, um, in revenue so that they're, but they buy it anyway because of the perception of it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It raises the question. So for example, I wonder, cause they can track sales volume. How much do Doritos spike in sales volume? the day after the Super Bowl, three days after the Super Bowl, and a week after the Super Bowl. Is there a meaning? Is there a meaningful spike in sales that is way above what it costs you to run that advertisement in multi-million dollars? I would sit here and tell you probably not. Not <laughs> not something that would be not not something that would be so high. How many how many how many um 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 units of of uh snickers or doritos do you have to sell to justify the expense of you know four million dollars for 30 seconds that, that's exactly right and if it, it, so can i i'm going to convert that to what we were just talking about so let's say you hire someone to do marketing and advertising for you and usually they like to sell only they like to sell six months of you know consulting services and other things and that's totally cool that's fine but if you know what the average cost is that you're going to charge someone for your service or product for the, with their help, take their fee and divide it by your average price, a unit basis, an individual person or a unit purchase or whatever, and find out how many you need to sell to justify that six months of support. And then ask yourself, do you think the support, that, that sales revenue is going to come in from that effort? just to break even and how confident are you that you can break even and get that many sales uh, wins for the price you just paid over six months. That's, 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 and do people go into that in-depth uh, analysis of that? You know, it's, that's an awesome question because I find typically they don't, right? Entrepreneurs are passionate about what they do. They love what they do. They want to feel good about being successful. They want their clients and customers to feel good about being successful in some way from what they're offering as well. So it's all with, I'll call it good juju, good intentions, right? A desire for everyone to be successful. So if they hear, if they hear a successful story being pitched without those tangible things I just mentioned, they tend to buy into it. They tend to say, they tend to create the story beyond the story that convinces them that success will be there, but they don't use those metrics or use a, a fundamental approach to at least 
test it out to see if that story um, is sound enough. You know, it's, it's interesting. I learned a very valuable lesson a long time ago. And that was, um, I went to a place called the good health pantry in by where the radio station was. And I, and I said, I would love for you. And I listened to the guy talk extremely knowledgeable. He was like 85 years old and he could, he knew everything chapter and verse and all that. And so I invited him on the show and I said, I would also like you to advertise. And he said, okay. And, um, and I said, a hundred bucks a week. And he said, okay, I'll do a hundred bucks a week. Well, in the course of the five or six months that he was advertising with him, his sales at his shop went up 50%. They went mm. up from like 18,000 $18, a month prior to him advertising with us to almost $30,000 a month. And he, he was, had to hire somebody. He was getting so busy. He never came back to me and said, boy, you know, your advertising is really working. You need to charge me more. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so he didn't, he didn't do that. And so my program failed and uh, mm -hmm. the guy who bought my program, uh, went back to the same guy at the good health pantry and said, if you want to continue to advertise it's $2,000 a month, um, right. rather than 400 and he paid it. Yes. And that was a thing because it had the value that he could now quantify and prove that the value was there. And so he paid that, uh, $2,000 because he didn't want to lose the revenue that he'd gained from being on the show. Yeah. It, it raises an interesting concept about, you know, re pay for performance kind of thing, right? When an entrepreneur is, is trying to partner with someone to get help. And so, for example, in the case of advertising, there's essentially three options for that. So you can pay me this price and whatever the results, all the results are, but, and they're aspiring to get the results that you pitch to them. There is the, um, you can pay me a lower fee, but the reason why you're paying me a lower fee is because as a percentage of the results and success that you have, I get a cut of that, which, which makes up for the low fee for, for that you're charging for the service. So you charge a fee for the service plus a percentage on the success. That, the that makes save all fees and just get paid on the percentage of success. So there's three ways to look at it. Yeah, the three ways three ways to do it. Now the problem is you would in order to in, if you include the a rise in sales, you have to also believe that they are going to be uh, reputable and upfront mm -hmm. and honest about how their sales are producing for you. Yes. And one of the things that you typically comes out is you have a contract. One of the stipulations in the contract for the work is that they will generate their sales report for you and indicate what the and show what the total sales were for the period that you agree you're tracking to measure the success. That, that, that's, a, that's a good way to handle it. Yes. Yeah, so let's say, for example, you, or you say after, uh, from the results of the, of the work that we do, um, whatever it be advertising for the next six months after the work concludes, we get, you know, two and a half percent on all revenue for the first six months of all new sales. And then they would have to generate their sales reports in the contract to you for the first six months. So you could see the total revenue and know what your two and a half percent is. And most, and most, <laughs> most entrepreneurs are going to say, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. 
<laughs> well, that's one of the right. So that's where you have to. That's where um, you rhetorically. I mean, anyone would have to say if I go into that model, I have to make sure my client base would be amenable to that, right? So you're matching the style of revenue capture relative to your target market and what they're willing to do, what they're behaviorally, you know, are comfortable with as as a client. You know, I got to tell you, you are a really smart guy. How'd you get so smart? <laughs> Lots of work, lots of trial and error, 30 years, 30 years building businesses, running all aspects of a company and just understanding people on both sides of the equation internally and externally. It's amazing what you can just learn from so many diverse experiences. It's it's it was a wonderful opportunity. And just and just watching people and watching how they 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 perform and how they work and and stuff like that that can they can give you a lot of uh information about about a better way to be yeah I, I think the key for me to your question and thank you for even for saying that because I think the key is it's it's not focusing on the tasks it's focusing on the behaviors and under and start cataloging understanding behaviors behaviors of people how they think why they think the things that are triggers from the things that drive them towards in certain directions. So it's, it's really consumer behavior, but then there's also that behavior you could apply internally to how do COOs think, how do CEOs think, how do uh, CFOs or head of HR or sales head of sales, those people all tend to be very different, but they also tend to be the same when it's a peer like sales, head of sales to a head of sales, another company to a head of sales, CFO to CFO to CFO. They all have thematically very similar mindsets on how they view things. And so you can create an understanding through those patterns and know exactly how to sell to them. That becomes a psychological game then. It does from the perspective you get to value and understand how they think and why they think. And you get to align yourself to speak their language so that because one of the biggest challenges for an entrepreneur is the entrepreneur may change and create the language that they're most comfortable with. But is that the language their potential customers are most comfortable with? Probably so not. the challenge for the entrepreneur is to speak and adapt into a language that represents the language of the client, not themselves. And isn't that part of the problem is that a lot of the clients are corporate-based people who've lived in corporations all their lives and they don't understand the necessities or, or the, the issues that an entrepreneur will have. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of times, you know, you're in a corporation, all that, all the things I just talked about get teed up automatically for you by the system. Right. And then you're just, you know, you, you have sales training and you are taught how to do it a certain way because they know the customers and they've built the program around it. And you're just now an active participant learning that way or style. But when you're an entrepreneur and you're like, oh, I want to do this product or service and this is going to be my target market and this is the people I want to serve. Then the question is, OK, that's wonderful and awesome. But the question is, how do they think and how do they like to be talked to for an experience? It's really interesting because, you know, even an entrepreneur, now I know, I know that you were in, when you were in business, you did all kinds of different jobs. So you mm -hmm. got to be aware of all the different things and the attitudes and, 
and that each person brought to the table. Um, but not every entrepreneur knows everything. And so there's a whole, there's a whole big gap of stuff that we have to stumble all over each other to find out the best way to operate. And that can be very expensive, can't it? It can be expensive, but it can also be moderately expensive or, or moderate cost based upon how well you vet out your understanding ahead of time of what specifically you know you need and find the right resource to align to it. The less, the less you are detailed in what you're looking for, the more you're apt be to spending a lot of money for something that's being explained to you that sounds good because it's a lot of detail from somebody, but you don't know if that detail is really what you need because you haven't defined it yourself. So I find where entrepreneurs need a lot of help is to be empowered with knowledge and learning and understanding so they can dictate an understanding of what they exactly know that they need and they find the partner who actually can support them that way. And that puts them in the bargaining table because they have knowledge that allows them to bargain on value versus benefit versus price. One of the issues I think, well, you tell me, one of the, my perception is one of the, the problems that a entrepreneur has is he wants to go his own way and he wants to mm-hmm. do his own thing and he doesn't want to be part of the corporate world and all of that. But then how many, what percentage of them are willing to take on a coach who can then help them to negotiate and, and navigate through all of these minefields that you end up having to? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's, it, I don't have, I wish I had data on that. I don't believe there's been a study for that that can show data. I like data because I think data just adds an element of perspective or experiential things, experience of someone uh, who is trying to provide support to entrepreneurs. But what's really interesting, I can speak from experience, and the experience I have is that you have people who want to be DIYers, they want to do it themselves as the entrepreneur, learn everything. What where the where it costs them in the business is that they they spend they want to try to acquire as much information they can from others is free. They do a lot of networking, they do a lot of brain picking, and they get about 25-30% proficient on what it is they need to be able to do in building a certain skill or knowledge on an aspect of the business. And then all of a sudden, three, four, five, six months go by, and that's not enough of knowledge to actually be able to do anything with what they're trying to enhance. And so now time has gone by and because they haven't spent any money on an expert in some fashion to help them, they're, they're in the same spot that they are, but just a little bit smarter, relatively speaking, they're not proficient enough to make a difference. And so I think it's, there's no right or wrong, but I think the entrepreneur just needs to look at how much time do I have that I can wait It's the time value of money. If I can spend money and be proficient in two months with somebody or three months, and it actually now allows me to get new revenue in the door, that's better than six months with no revenue by trying to do it yourself proficiently. So, so, and, and, and then it goes to the question, is it because they don't have funding or just because they don't want to spend the money, right? And those are two different 
challenges that deserve two different thoughtful answers. Boy, no kidding. Um, what if you've got, what if you've got the, is it, do entrepreneurs think like this? I know I've thought like this in the past, and that is I've got X number of dollars. Now, if mm -hmm. I don't spend any money, my X number of dollars is going to go farther if I don't spend any money and I don't have any revenue rather than maybe I should spend the money to gather the revenue and to have the support structure that I need to be able to generate the revenue on a faster basis than to try and save it and, and wait until, and just to try and eke my way through for a period of time, which is a better way to go. I think the better, you just prompted me this answer and I hope, I hope Kevin, this answers your question. What prompted me is any money that an entrepreneur spends on my recommendation is they should be able to, to know with a high degree of confidence how that expenditure either generates more revenue, cuts costs, or main or allows them to maintain clients without the risk of losing them because that's that's why they're paying because they don't they they they're losing customers and they want to keep customers and they're spending money in, in some way that's going to let them keep customers which means keep revenue. So if you if you as an entrepreneur are not able to make a decision that ties to how it's going to generate revenue, protect revenue or cut costs, which ultimately is your financial, which is why you're, why you want to be able to be a, a successful entrepreneur. It's all about the financials. Then it's not worth spending the money. If it's a good idea, but you can't still can't draw a line between how it's going to generate that revenue or cut costs or protect client revenue. It's not worth doing. There has to be a high degree of confidence that something is going to be achieved. Unless that, what you're going to spend is the basis of the business as they, as yes. they keep it as, as an example. I mean, um, I, I, I have a, a podcast service that I pay for. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not real cheap. It's $500 a year for the different channels. Now, if I didn't mm -hmm. spend that $500, I wouldn't have to worry about that, but then I also wouldn't have a way to get my podcast out. Um, right. so, would I be better off going to a cheaper service or just biting the bullet and, and that's the cost of doing business? Gotcha. So my recommendation in that scenario is that that is what gives you distribution. And I call that an infrastructure cost. That's a sunk cost that you have to do in order to be a business, in order to be seen. Right. 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 And exist without that. So that's like one of those mandatory things. It's sort of like nowadays, if you don't spend the money for a website, you're not considered a real company. You have to have a website. So if you don't have a website, then it's you can't do it. So it's one of I think the podcasting the five hundred dollars is the same way. You, it's allowing you to be present, so people know that you're real and you're out there and you can be seen. So it it, it has an infrastructure cost benefit. So, so like we're, which begs another question, which, by the way, is that a puppy dog? It is. I so apologize. I don't know how he got in here. Oh, no, that's a, That's okay. What kind of dog is he? I love dogs. He is an eight-year-old Lassa Apso, which is a, a very a small 20-pound dog from Tibet. They were guard dogs for the monks. <laughs> very cool. Um, yeah. Well, tell him he can bark all he likes. We'll be fine. 
um, but uh, um, so when when you're t- talking about the work that you do with people and you help them through this because this this has been very therapeutic for me uh, to go through this with you because it's given me a lot to think about. So in 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 your work with with folks in your consulting work, is that kind of how it goes? Yeah, it is. It's actually having just good conversation like this because, you know, everybody is unique, right? For every for every Kevin McDonald, you have your own life experiences, your own conditioning from social and from familial, you know, experiences. You have your own culture, your own beliefs, your own value system. So how that creates you as an entrepreneur and how you translate that to the business really deserves to be seen and to be heard, not not ignored and retrofitted into a program or a box that someone has pre-created where they're asking you to adapt to that to be successful. The question is, you're so unique. How does that come through where that's your identity? That's who you are. All those things are in place. And how do you how do you actually allow that to be your success model? And I think that, and so it starts with like these types of conversations where you get to, you get to feel like everything about you as an entrepreneur is coming through in the business and, and the success is actually showing that who you are and what you are is, is actually the success model. Do you find in talking with people that they have the same problem that I do? which was I was a general manager and I was a national sales manager and stuff of a, of a cor- of corporations. And mm-hmm. I was much more protective of them and their money and how the business was being ran. And I made it run, especially when I was in the restaurant business, I made the restaurant run in a certain way to give the, the owner, the, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, profitability and the lower the turnover and to, and to keep employees happy and to do all of those things. But I don't do that as much as an entrepreneur. I, I don't, va- it's, it's almost like I don't value the money that, and the time and the effort that I'm putting into it. Does, is that a problem for some entrepreneurs? It, it is, it is. Um, one of the hardest, well, it depends. Like you have entrepreneurs where I don't like the word mindset, but I'm going to use it for this answer. You know, the mindset is they're very traditional in their thinking. They may be very results oriented. They may be very task oriented and they may, you know, just focus on get the business, get the business, get the business. And that's totally cool. That's the way some people are wired and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And they have to figure out how to have success with that mindset. There are other people who are like relationship based, like you are, where you value relationships and you feel like you get nourished by having reciprocating uh, views on a relationship from the people that you're talking to. And in a way that's giving you what you need. And therefore the money becomes less of a, less of a focus or a desire because it's the relationship, the power of connection and other things. But it does challenge you to ask is the, is what you're doing a hobby or a business? A ah. hobby is enjoyable. A business is for profit. Exactly. But I want both. Dang it. <laughs> and you can have both because your hobby is your passion, but it's about getting help, being comfortable, either asking for the revenue, right? For your work, the quality of your work, or having someone else own it for you and allow them to do it. 
on your behalf. And that, that, that's kind of where I would, where I think I need to go with that because I really need to, I, I like being, I like being the jovial guy that likes to get along mm-hmm. with everybody that doesn't like to have hard conversations for me. Now, when I was working for somebody else and I was a general manager, I could have those hard conversations because mm-hmm. I was doing it on behalf of somebody else. And this individual was not meeting expectations of what that the, the other individual had set. So therefore it was my job to um, defend the, the owner in that, in that particular position. But with me, I have a tendency to go, well, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and that's, right. that's just not right. Yeah. You know, but you're also highlighting something so atypical where it shows in different ways for an entrepreneur, which is when an entrepreneur has a particular aspect of the business that they're not comfortable with, they have to be willing to let go of that responsibility and let someone else do it who will do it better. And, and, and you defeat the purpose when you, when you say, when, when you say, all right, all right, um, um, Holly, I'm going to give you this responsibility and I'm yes. not going to get involved. And you, you run this the way that you feel like it needs to be run. And then she yes. runs it. And then somebody comes to you and says, I don't like how she's running that. And then you, uh, you undercut her and, uh, and it defeats the entire purpose of the exercise, right? It does because the entrepreneur is actually now being asked to understand how to manage situations and people. Right. Uh And so, you know, I look at it as I, I, I came up in the corporate world where one of the training ideas that was bequeathed to me and I actually loved it, which was if a customer or prospect complains about your employee and the experience, always get the other side from your employee. Because if you don't know that prospect or customer and you don't have a history, then how do you know what they're saying is valid? You don't. You do have customers who make valid points like that, a valid complaint, but you also have people of an axe to grind where like, I just want to try to get, I just want to try to get stuff for free. I just want to try to get a benefit out of this, you know? Or, or, you know, or they had a bad day themselves. The salesperson didn't do anything wrong, but they just took it the wrong way because they were in a bad mood and they decided to complain because they've had a bad day all day and the salesperson didn't do anything wrong. So we have to look at always giving our employees the benefit of the doubt, but do find the truth and do hold them accountable if they messed up, but don't assume they messed up just because someone told us. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt check it out and make a qualified decision. And that, that's, that's really is wonderful advice. Um, <clears throat> I was, when I was in the restaurant business, I, I, sometimes you will get called to a table as the manager on duty mm-hmm. and somebody will be unhappy uh, with either the service or the food or whatever it is. And I had a standing rule that when I would go to the table, that the customer was always right to their face. Mm-hmm. I would give them what the customer wanted, what they needed, but then I would go and find out what actually happened. And and I would never get mad at an employee if, if a customer was, unless I could prove that the employee was actually at fault. I think that's awesome because when, a, when an employee is working hard and trying to do a good job, 
nothing is worse than feeling like you didn't do anything wrong and it, and you're being viewed negatively for actually not doing anything wrong but right. but they but they can understand right that the customer is always right for the sake of the business they can get behind that but as long as they know you have their back afterwards and yes. they and they get some form of verbal support from you on that and they know you're not just saying it like you did to the customer that you actually mean it <laughs> that goes a long way to you know to the employee being really happy in the workplace knowing they're covered exactly and but at the same time there was also a case where somebody we used to have something called a um um there were a secret shopper cuts and people mm, would come yes. in and the, and the secret shop, shopper came in and they gave this particular waitress a horrible report, a horrible report. And and so I got the report, sat the, the employee down, and I said, they said this, this, and this, and we're paying them to come and do this. So I had no reason to believe that they were doing anything wrong. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, so this is the action I want you to take to correct that so that we can get past that issue and she made the corrections i thought and then uh, a month and a half later i get this three-page letter from from a, another customer about the same employee and it was was pretty pretty much verbatim all the things along uh what the the secret shopper said this person said so i showed the gal the the uh letter and i said i'm sorry and she says, what, are you going to fire me? I said, well, what would you do? You know, I can't, I can't allow you to be out there. Um, the, these are my customers. These are, these are the people that I depend upon for my paycheck and the other people you work with. I can't allow you to be there and you know, stuff like that. Was that the right thing to do? Absolutely, because you, you gave her valid information. You gave her an opportunity you gave you you allowed you allowed her to f- seek out finding success after the feedback so which is really cool i mean you you know you our our job when we manage people even as entrepreneurs our job is to do the best we can to have employees feel like they're all inclusive within within our our workplace they feel valued, they feel being seen and being heard, and they feel they're being supported. But it's a two-way street. As much as they all desire that in order to be happy, when they are not reciprocating the way they should as an employee, we have to point that out and they have to hold themselves accountable because they're holding the company accountable for not doing the things that I said as a reason for leaving or talking why they don't think it's a good company and no one else should work there. So when the company does all the right things, they have to hold themselves accountable when they're not reciprocating. So it is a two-way street. You know, I got to tell you, I have enjoyed this conversation terribly. It's, can you believe that we've been doing this for 45 minutes? It goes so fast. I, I, I'm serious. Sometimes I understand concept of time because it does go really fast. And I, I really enjoy your work. I enjoy who you are. Um, if and I may have to hire you uh, just just to get through my day. Uh, but uh, uh, David, tell us how if somebody wants to get a hold of you. Now you work worldwide. You, you work through Zoom. You just opened up an office where you live, and so you can go local and you can go worldwide. How does somebody get a hold of you? 
thank thank you so much for asking. Thank you for having me. I just I just want to extend my gratitude. Um, um, you're a wonderful person uh, and a wonderful host. So thank you so much. Um, the way people can get a hold of me is they can go to my website and then contact me, which is, as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, ethos consults with an S at the end.com, or they can just contact me via email. My, my initial D for David, my last name, Newkirk, D N E W K I R K at ethosconsults.com. And if they'd like to just have a conversation or talk through something, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm up for having a good conversation with somebody. Well, I got to tell you, you are you are a very very gifted man at what you do, but you also have got a great heart, and sometimes those are not contained in the same <laughs> in the same package. If you know what I mean, I do. That's why we're together because two big hearts, two sets of good intentions, and then with everyone else that you have, I know fits that bill too. So thank you for saying that and allowing me to be part of your community that holds that space. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it greatly, and we're also going to have a good friend of ours. You're going to be on again, and we're going to get Sandy Stamato to to come in and enjoy our conversation with the three of us. I I think that'll just be a great deal of fun. I think we'll have a good time. I I think it'll be productive and a lot of fun, too, and I'm sure there'll be some laughs in between as well. (laughs) And I I am so looking forward to it. You're, You're an awesome man, and you are a great consultant. You've got lots of experience. You've been around the block more than once. And so you, you're really good at what you do. And so I would, I would encourage you, um, if you have the need, if you're an entrepreneur, and, you know, everybody needs a coach. Entrepreneurs need coaches too because we have blind spots. We have things that we don't do well because we're, we just have a blind spot. And uh, you know, we need somebody to, uh, to help us through those blind spots. And you can do that. And, uh, and not only are you, um, a great coach, but you're also an entrepreneur. So you know how it all works. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. And, and thank you. Go to ethos, E T H O S consults, C O N S U L T S dot com and you can get all the information about him um you there's a let's talk button you can you can get your information there and and uh, he can help you being an entrepreneur is great fun but it's also hard and you can you can you can spend you know your whole life savings and at the end of the day end up with nothing if you're not careful so you you need to take care of it you need to have somebody there in your corner and this is the guy that i would recommend so Thank you for that, David. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, we got just a couple of moments left. Is there anything that you would like specifically to tell our audience, the ones that are listening now or the ones that will be listening in the future? I I really think that positive talk radio, if this is your first time listening, hopefully I did not keep you away from going to the next next episode because positive talk radio is such a refreshing place to come to, to talk about how people can move forward, how people can think and be positive and live positively in all different aspects, personal, professional, based on who your guest is. And this is a great place to be. I would just say, I encourage everyone who experiences this, to share that experience and, and, and really help other people who are looking for this to come. 
you are a a special man and and thank you i appreciate that thank you so much for that um we're 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 trying we want to we want to we want to change the world one person at a time maybe even more than one at a time if we can so uh with that i want to thank david newkirk for being here ethos consulting is his business uh he's he's phenomenal at what he does see we didn't even know what we were going to talk about when we started and it turned out great it did. This was fun. And I love being asked questions where I really have to think through the answer. That's those challenges are fun. Oh, good. Well, you did, you did an outstanding job. So if, if you'll wait right there, sir, I will be right back. Thanks. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to one another because each other's all we got.